morning, brothers. Good morning, sisters. Good morning. We are in the second part of this sermon on marriage and divorce. And we are in uh, Malachi chapter 2, verse 10 through 16. And I'm going to continue on the last two points that I left out. I did one point last Sunday, so I'll carry on with the next two points to wrap up this sermon. But I want to do a quick recap on the word covenant because um, marriage has a lot to do with the word covenant. And if we don't understand covenant, we won't understand marriage and we won't understand our relationship with God. So we, we, I'm going to do a little quick review. In the beginning of chapter 2 of Malachi, mentioned a covenant with Levi. And now in the latter part of chapter 2, the prophet again introduces the topic of covenant. In verse 10, he talks about this covenant with the fathers, and he accuses the people of Judah of profaning this covenant. So they disrespected the covenant that God had made. In verse 14, he says that to the men of Judah, specifically concerning their wives, that she is your companion and your wife by covenant. So covenant has some importance in Malachi, and it has some importance in all of Scripture, the whole Bible. Covenant is a big word. So covenant has some importance, just as it does throughout the scriptures as a whole, and just as it does for us as a church, because we have a covenant with our God, or he has made a covenant with us. That raises the obvious and the important question that we got to understand. What does the Bible mean by covenant? What does the Bible mean by covenant? What in the world are we talking about when we throw out this term covenant? And I'm sure we've heard it, like I said, Countless times in the church settings, Bible studies, you know, sermons, um, even discussions amongst ourselves, <coughs> covenant. And there's uh, a number of good definitions out there in the, in the literature, but let me offer a very brief and basic uh, definition, which I mentioned last week, which I'll mention again today. And hopefully we really understand this word uh, and we can define it whenever we're in conversation Bible studies and we're studying the scriptures for our own selves. A covenant is a bond. Covenant is a bond between two or more parties that secures a special relationship. So the idea here is that when God graciously enters into a relationship with the people in the scriptures, he then secures that relationship by means of covenant. He reaches down to a people who has done nothing. So what have we done? Nothing. The people have done nothing. To earn his grace. What is grace? Unmerited favor. You've done nothing to receive the grace of God in your lives. So as Christians, as Calvinists, as Reformed people, we should be the most humble people on this planet. Because what do you have that you haven't received by a gift from God? Whether it is your possessions, your intelligence, what do you have? Everything that you have, your family, your kids, anything and everything that you have, your health, is a gift by God, is by His grace. Amen? Amen. And even salvation, we don't earn our salvation. Our salvation is a free gift from God. He reaches down to a people who have done nothing, zero, nothing to earn His grace and His favor. So God is on our side, not because we wooed Him to be on our side, or because we're, there's something about us that caught Him to come to us, but He did it out of His own Desire, and he's, he wanted to, not because there's anything in us. It's because of God. He makes promises to commit himself to them <coughs> for their good and for his glory. 
So everything God does is for his glory and what we receive is goodness from God. He promises, I will be your God and you will be my people and I will dwell among you. That statement is the essence of the covenant promise God makes among his people. It's the bond of fellowship and communion and for us belonging. I think everybody in this, you know, anybody who's anybody needs wants to belong to something or to somewhere or some cause. That's why I think even this whole thing out there in this culture, the BLM is, you know, everybody tries to be a part of what's ever popular going on in culture and, and in the media. And sometimes people don't even know what, why they are part of what they're a part of. It's just the cool thing to do and the cool thing to be a part of. But we got to have understanding of what it is that we get behind and be uh, intelligent and smart about it. And is it even biblical? Is it even in scripture to be a part of something like that? So let's be uh, careful on what it is that we follow. It's the bond of fellowship and communion. And for us belonging, covenant reminds us that of God's gracious initiative when we were dead in our sins and trespasses. All of us were dead in our sins and trespasses. There's no one who is good. No, not one. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all, in some sense, dead, like it says, in our sins and transgressions because of original sin, because we came into this world tainted with sin, and there's nothing good in us. Doesn't mean we're as bad as we could be, because obviously there's, by God's grace, this world is still functioning, and there's still good in this world, but there's evil and wickedness inside our hearts prior to coming to Christ. And covenant anchors us with when we brush shoulders with the fall and with our own sin in our lives. So again, now just a little bit of a recap on covenant. Um, it's important that we understand that word, and that we, uh, as we read our scriptures, as we get into the word, that we really uh, understand what God means by the word covenant. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be in Malachi chapter two, verses ten through. God's word says, Don't all of us have one father? Didn't God didn't one God create us? Why then do we act treacherously against one another? Profaning the covenant of our father. Judah has acted treacherously, and a detestable act has been done in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's sanctuary, which he loves, and he has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this, whoever he may be, even if he presents an offering to the Lord of armies. This is another thing you do. You are covering the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer respects your offerings or receives them gladly from your hands. And you ask why, because even though the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, you have acted treacherously against her. She was your marriage partner and your wife by covenant. Didn't God make them one and give them a portion of spirit? What is the one seeking? Godly offspring. So watch yourselves carefully so that no one acts treacherously against the wife of his youth. If he hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord God of Israel. He covers his garment with injustice, says the Lord of armies. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully and do not act treacherously. This is the word of the Lord. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning asking you to bless your word, Lord, to speak to us, Lord, to rebuke us, Lord, to give us a proper understanding of covenant, of marriage, of divorce, Lord, of these difficult topics, Lord, that um, we're addressing this morning, Lord. Maybe you be faithful to your word, Lord, and may we have open ears, open hearts, open eyes to hear and see. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So God addresses three big issues pertaining to covenant of marriage, to the covenant of marriage, which we, last week we addressed the first issue, which is he addresses faithlessness in their pursuit of the covenant of marriage. Faithlessness in the pursuit of the covenant of marriage. This week, or today we will address, he addresses their faithlessness towards the covenant of marriage itself. And then he calls them towards faithfulness to uphold the covenant of marriage. Marriage. So today we'll actually be uh, talking more about the actual uh, marriage. And last week we were just talking a little bit about not pursuing women who were not, uh, don't be unequally yoked, don't be pursuing people outside of the church, outside of God's people. That's what we were talking about last week. So today let's talk more about marriage. There's a second issue that Malachi raises. God addressed their faithlessness towards the covenant of marriage. Look at me, look with me at verses 13 and 14 of chapter 2. 13 and 14. This is another thing you do. You are covering the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer respects your offerings or receives them gladly from your hands. And you ask, why? Because even though the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, you have acted treacherously against her. She was your marriage partner and your wife by covenant. There's a word, covenant. So in the midst of all these issues swirling around the people of God in Malachi's day, specifically the issue of divorce and marriage, or divorce and remarriage, the men of Judah have still been worshiping the Lord. So they're divorcing, they're remarrying, they're doing all these things that God obviously is displeased with, but yet what? They're still been worshiping the Lord. Does that happen in us when we're doing things that we're not supposed to be doing, in, you know, involved with sin, being disobedient, living you know, sinful lives, and yet we're still worshiping the Lord. If we are, we need to repent. We turn away from that kind of life. Because God will be displeased. God is watching and God is not pleased with the way of our behavior and the way we're living. And that's what they're doing there. The men of Judah have still been worshiping the Lord while they're divorcing their wives and remarrying and doing anything that and doing all everything as they are pleased to their, in their own eyes. They have been bringing offerings before the Lord in the context of worship. They're bringing offerings to the Lord. They're, uh, they're thinking that God's going to receive them. That God's going to be pleased with it. Yet they're perplexed and they're grieved that God hasn't accepted their offerings. God rejects their offerings because remember God is more he, he wants obedience. God is pleased with obedience, not with offerings. Not what we bring to God. But it's just living a life of obedience towards and with God. 
We are not told in our passage how they knew that God didn't accept their offerings. Maybe their prayers weren't being answered. So maybe in our lives, maybe our prayers are not being answered. That, that could be a possibility of, of, um, of disobedience in our lives. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't mean that that's the case. But more uh, misfortune and misery in their land continued. However, they knew of the Lord's disfavor, but they didn't grasp why the Lord didn't accept their offerings and they wept. Here's the problem. Although they, they check the worship box, they check the worship box, they are able to do that by bringing their offerings and all of that, but God demands hearts that truly value what He values. God wants hearts that value what He values. And how do we know what God values? In the Scriptures, in the Word. He doesn't just want sacrificial offerings. He wants themselves to be offerings, living sacrifices. He wants you to be that living sacrifice. He doesn't want your money, anything that you got, your possessions. He wants you to be obedient, to be that living sacrifice, to be that follower, disciple of Jesus Christ, to be like him. Be holy like I am holy. That's what God is calling us to be, to do. He demands hearts in particular that value and fight for the vision of marriage. According to God's word, when a man and a woman are united in marriage, they are entered into a covenant union that God witnesses. Because when you get married, who's a, who's a, who's a witness? God is a witness. You're married because it's an institution ordained by God, by his word, in the beginning, Adam and Eve. They are entered into a covenant union that God witnesses. Malachi tells us in verse 14 that the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth. The marriage covenant is something that the Lord ordained. It is ordained by the Lord. And that's why we protect it and we fight for it. And as a church, we've got to fight for marriage. We can't be silent. We can't be hesitant. We can't be apologetic about the fact that marriage is between a man and a woman. Amen? Because it's God's word. It's not because of what we think as people or as because of what God has said in his word. Amen. So they they enter not into just a flesh union, but a spiritual union. It becomes a spiritual union. They become one. God's word says they become one. Malachi uses a language, loses language throughout this passage that echoes back to Genesis and the original vision for marriage. A covenant of marriage is something God values because it was God's idea. Marriage was not man's idea. It was God's idea. Therefore, it cannot be changed. It's the context for spiritual and physical intimacy. It's the context for producing godly offspring. It's a picture of the covenant union that God has with his people. So God cares deeply of this picture. Yet the men of Judah treat this covenant more as a breakable social contract. They conveniently divorce their lawful wives and some men pursue a more advantageous union with foreign women. So when we get to verse 16, God, God pulls no punches and declares, let's read verse 16 of Malachi chapter 2. If he hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord of God of Israel. He covers his garment with injustice, says the Lord of armies. 
Therefore, watch yourselves carefully and do not act treacherously. Another version, he says, For the man who does not love his wife but divorces, says the Lord, the God of Israel covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not be faithless. So, as I said earlier or last week, that this passage can be a little bit difficult with certain words and phrases uh, in, the, in, uh, in the Hebrew scripture. Some of the older translations say something in an even stronger language. And it says, I hate divorce, says the Lord. In some translations, in the, it says, I hate divorce, says the Lord. I think that uh, ESV or other translations are pretty good with it. Um, or whatever translation we adopt, I don't think the message in any way is obscured. This is because of what the covenant of marriage is supposed to picture and because God values and witnesses these unions. Divorce is a serious break of covenant union. Divorce is a breach of the union that is supposed to picture the covenant of grace that God has with his people. It is important to mention that Malachi in no way exhausts the biblical teaching on divorce. So today's passage does not cover everything that there is to say about that topic of divorce. And we're going to go to a few other passages uh, in a little bit that are going to address that topic and that issue. But um, the scriptures teach us that even though marriage was intended to be a permanent bond between a man and a woman, but in this post-fall world where we live in, a fall, um, there are a few biblical occasions where divorce and remarriage are permissible. In the case of adultery, the case of abandonment of an unbelieving spouse. And those are about it. The case of adultery and the case of an abandonment of a spouse, an unbelieving spouse. Those are the only two permissible options. In those cases where the covenant has already been breached, that divorce is permissible. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Verses 10 through 16. To the married, I give this command. Not I, but the Lord. A wife is not to leave her husband, but if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. But I, not the Lord, says to the rest, if any brother has an unbelieving wife and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. Also, if a woman has an unbelieving husband and he is willing to live with her, he must not divorce her husband. For the unbelieving husband is made holy by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is today, as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. A brother or sister is not bound in such cases. God has called you to live in peace. Why? For all your for all you know, you might save your husband. Husband, for all you know, you might save your wife. So what it's saying here is. If you get married, if you're married already, and you want to be as a believer, whether it's a husband or the wife, and the other spouse of yours is an unbeliever and wants to still stay married with you, continue being married. That's what the scriptures say. Now, if they want to leave, let them leave. They're abandoning you. But it's, 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 uh, it's beneficial to stay married. 
it's worth it to stay married. That's what the scriptures are saying. To stay married, not divorce them because now you're a Christian and they're not a Christian. So, and I, this happens all the time. People, one of them, of the spouses gets saved, and later on the other one gets saved. And just be patient. Let the Lord be the one who does the saving, and you be a good testimony to your spouse if they're not a believer. Be a godly example to them and win them over for Christ. Now, this is not talking about dating, though. If you're dating and you're, you're a non-Christian, this is the last one we talked about dating non-Christians is not <laughs> an option. You shouldn't be doing that. This is talking about marriage right here. Let's go to uh, Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. Curtailed. 
More importantly, Malachi is painting a vision for what it means to be covenant members of the people of God and what it means to respond in faith to his covenant faithfulness. Remember, every imperative and rebuke in Malachi is rooted in the opening five verses where God declared, I have loved you, says the Lord. That's how God starts off. I have loved you, says the Lord. Let us not forget, even as we hear these hard truths, and sometimes God is correcting us, disciplining us, because he loves us, right? He corrects us. If you love your children, you're going to correct what they do wrong. But God says, I have loved you. And he cares for you. And he loves and he wants you to do right before his eyes. Everything is rooted in God's electing and covenantal love that he has for his people. That love and election should influence the worship and the priest offering we read about in the chapters 1 and 2. It should lead to biblical instruction and the people of God upholding and valuing the primary picture of marriage that God gives for the covenant relationship that he wants with his people. Yes, there may be circumstances in life where the covenant of marriage breaks down and it is unsalvageable and divorce may be the only option. Because marriage images the covenant that God secures with his people. They're called, and we are called too, to heed Malachi's double imperative to guard yourselves in your spirits and do not be faithless in your covenant with your spouse and in your covenant with God. And this leads to the final point. God addresses faithfulness. To uphold the covenant of marriage, faithfulness. Third and finally, at the end of our passage, Malachi calls on the people to guard in your spirit and do not be faithless. Guarding the covenant of marriage in faithfulness begins with an understanding and an embrace of the covenant of grace. Now, what is the covenant of grace? It begins by taking stock of God's faithfulness of to you and me in Jesus Christ when we were faithlessness. It begins by taking stock of God's faithfulness. We're unfaithful to God all the time, are we not? Yet he continues being faithful to us. And that's the covenant of grace that God has extended towards us. It sits in the glorious reality that God related to us as a father relates to his sons, and he pursues us in Jesus Christ when we are difficult and rebellious children. The starting point for faithfulness in the covenant of marriage is for each member in that covenant to be faithful to respond to the message of salvation in Jesus Christ. Again, marriage is always husband and wife, but then with God, vertically. So both of you, husband and wife, should pursue God, Jesus, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And your marriage will be a lot better. It will be great. Because if you pursue God, obviously the horizontals will be taken care of. As, a help, as, a healthy, as healthy as a marriage may look from the inside or from the outside, it just cannot function according to its spiritual design unless God's covenant and the gospel stands at the center of that union. If there is no center of the union of the gospel, it's going to be very difficult to forgive one another, right? Why do you forgive your wife, your husband? Forgive 
husband forgive your wife, wife forgive your husband when they fail you, when they offend you, when they disrespect you, when they don't do what you say that you know they're gonna do. Because are you not gonna fail each other? Amen. You are, right? Mm -hmm. And it's a sign of the covenant, I mean of, of grace to forgive one another of what God has forgiven you. You forgive others, right? If you're married, or if you're pursuing marriage, or if marriage isn't even on the table for you, have you responded in faith to the salvation offered in Christ alone? Have you done that? That's the starting point for a truly flourishing marriage, and that's the starting point for us individually living the lives that God has created us to live, in fellowship and in union with God through Christ alone. Have you responded to the message of salvation freely offered in the gospel? If you're listening, have you responded to this message? To guard oneself also involves understanding our own hearts. For whatever reason in this post-exilic setting in which Malachi lives, the marriage covenant was being dispensed for social, economic, or political reasons. The heart of God's people wasn't wholly set on God alone and what God treasured. They were set instead on strategically positioning oneself in the most affluent position as possible. It was a self-interest reason that they were divorcing. They just wanted a better life. They wanted to climb up in the social rankings of their time. Some therefore saw their marriages as a burden that prevented them from pursuing the idols of their heart. In the same way, we have to understand the pull of our own hearts. Do we understand our own hearts? Calvin, John Calvin says that our heart is an idol factory. In the same way, we have to understand the pull of our own hearts. We have to ask ourselves, specifically if we're married, so ask yourself if you're married, how does what you prize in your heart of hearts affect your marriage? Ask yourself that question if you're married. I'll repeat it. Read it again. You have to ask ourselves, specifically if you're married, how does what you prize in your hearts of hearts affect your marriage? How do your life goals impact your spouse and family? What are your life goals? How does that affect your family? How do your life goals impact your spouse and family? There's endless amounts of very good things that we can pursue in life. However, don't let any of those pursuits that you want to tackle become ultimate things that you twist your view of your spouse and your family, that you begin to see them as a burden and a barrier of true happiness that can be dispensed at will. Sometimes, you know, if you're working a lot, working too much, you're going to neglect your wife or your husband, or if you're, you're paying attention there are too many activities with the kids, you're going to neglect your, your relationship. Or whatever the case may be, there can be issues that are going to affect your relationship. That was the problem in Malachi's day, and let it not be a problem in our day. It all comes down to your heart. What's in your heart? And what is it that you prize and you possess? And ultimately, God should be first, right? God is always first. But then it's your family, it's your wife, your kids. This passage has a lot more that we could touch on, but it has to say about the covenant of marriage. It has, it has to say about... <clears throat> Let me also speak about two other groups of people. 
First, many of you are married. If you're not married, I'm not married. Maybe you're a teenager in college and marriage lies far away in the distance. So maybe you're not married and this is for you. To the unmarried, assuming you haven't been called to singleness, which is a calling to some, let me ask this. What are your convictions for the future spouse, for what your future spouse should be? What are you looking for and praying for in a future spouse? When you think of that imagery or maybe actual person, what are the boxes that have to be checked? Good looking? Of course, right? Obviously. <laughs> Good earning potential? Same hobbies and so forth? Because these are things that we, I mean, I'm sure when you guys are saying that, you guys are thinking of these things, right? <laughs> um, what is it that, you, that, that checks those boxes? That, that checks those boxes? Or are they spiritual? Are we looking for someone that's godly, that's a, that's a follower of Christ, that loves God, that loves the, to read the, the Word, to be in prayer, to be in fellowship, loves going to church? Recognize that those that, that, who, that who you pursue in a dating relationship, especially in marriage, will have a profound effect on your spiritual well-being or lack thereof. Don't assume your passion for the gospel of Jesus Christ will rub off on someone who is passionless for the gospel and for truth. Sometimes we do those evangelistic missionary dating, right? And you may be on fire and they're not, and then, and then they end up winning you to be on un, not fired and out of connection and communion with God. Don't assume that you're going to affect a person for the better. We have example after example in the scriptures and in real life that are warning of the opposite. In other words, guard your own spiritual well-being by avoiding unequally yoked relationships. And that's a little bit of what we preached last week's sermon on, being unequally yoked. Secondly, some of you may be on the back end of a failed marriage. Somebody maybe is listening and watching and has gone through a failed marriage. Whether you are to blame or the other person is to blame, maybe it, it was biblical or maybe it was not. Maybe this passage that, we're, that we read at Expounded has opened up some wounds and pushed some salt into these wounds. If that's the case, I would love to talk to you and maybe pray for you and even just you know, have a conversation if that's something you'd like. Here at Ash Reform Church, pastors want to be of service to people. We want to be able to give you guys biblical counsel whatever situation that you find yourself in. So understand that too, in the midst of that, there's gospel hope. Man, there's gospel hope. Whatever situation you find yourself in, there is gospel hope. It's never bleak. And that all of us have to cling to, we have to cling to the gospel hope in whatever circumstance and trial and hardship we're going through. There will be a breakdown of marriages in the covenant community. That's a sad reality on this side of the fall. Failed marriages among God's people, no matter who's to blame, they happen. While the covenant marriage breaks down, the covenant of grace never will. Amen? We have a God who promises that those who belong to Jesus Christ will never be cast aside. Even if you sin lead to even if uh, your sin led to a failed marriage. Through repentance and faith, we have a God who in Christ promises to hold fast to us and there's forgiveness and real gospel hope for you. When we are faithlessness, He is faithful. Amen? Amen. That is a promise for all of us to cling to. Really believe. Really embrace. So whether you're single, married, 
divorced, remarried, widowed, celibate, or anything else. Did it cover all the Chicago boxes? It's a promise that magnified and expanded in the new covenant. We have a God who relates to us as Father who created and shapes our heart by the power of His love. We have a God who calls us to love Him as the church and bride of Christ. The bride that God has taken to Himself and who He will never forsake and who He will be presented beautifully adorned for a husband when, the, when God makes all things new. We're all the bride of Christ. Amen? Beautiful. So the Lord will anchor and secure our hearts and our minds with the truth as we learn what it looks like in our lives to guard the covenant of marriage. From whatever position you are now, right now, in relationship, in relation to it, we have a God who's faithful, who has established a covenant with us that we are to respond to that by faith alone in Jesus Christ. Have you responded to that covenant initiated by faith? Have you? If you haven't, I invite you to do, to do that today. Get right with God. If you're, whatever situation you find yourself in, repent, put your faith and trust in Christ alone, and He will save you of all your sins and establish a relationship with you. So if you're able, uh, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you, giving you thanks for... The covenant of grace that you've extended towards, Lord, that even though we're faithless, Lord, you're faithful, Lord. And we're thankful that you pursued us, that you loved us, Lord, that you saved us, Lord. You've extended your grace and mercy towards us, Lord, as your sons and daughters. I pray for the marriages of Acts Reformed Church and any other marriages that have been tuning in, Lord. I pray that you would um, show your grace to those marriages, Lord, that they would... Um, Look at the gospel, Lord, and forgive one another and their fallings and failures to one another, Lord, and that they would have a, a prosperous marriage, a loving marriage, Lord, and that they would um, just, Lord, continue to pursue you, God, as they pursue each other, Lord, in their marriage. So be with us, Lord, this morning as we continue to worship and glorify you, Jesus Christ. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.